Today's daf is Mem Vav and Psachim. We're on Mem Hey uh, Amud Bet, seven lines from the bottom of the Amud. Tanu Rabbanan Arivata Abdanim. So this is talking about a again a type of a uh, trough, a type of a big vessel that they would put the um, they would put the uh, the skins of the animals in there to as part of the ibud process, part of the tanning process they would put in there. So they would part of what they would treat the uh, hides with was flour mixed with water, which obviously could potentially become chametz. So if they put in there some flour in order to prepare, because they would put the flour in there uh, before they would put the uh, hides in. So if they put the flour in, so if it was within the last three days, meaning today is Erev Pesach where we have to destroy the chametz. So if within the last three days the person put uh, flour in, so it's still fresh enough that it would be considered chametz. However, if it was kodem shoshayim, if it's already been in there three days plus, so he doesn't have to destroy it anymore because it's considered spoiled. Nobody's going to take the... Um, flour the chametz out of there it's considered inedible after uh, that many dates so he wouldn't have to do anything about that but that's only if you didn't put any skins in there but if you actually but if you actually put the hides of animals in there so if even if you put the flour in the water in yesterday but you also put in the hides of an animal that started uh, started to become uh, uh, tanned so it's like I mean a tannery is the most disgusting uh, bad smelling place that you can imagine so it's uh, putrid and therefore I mean it's dead skin you know so it's it's uh, uh, it, it would be ruined for right away. You wouldn't have to wait the three days. And that even uh, even one day or even one hour, meaning as soon as you've put the uh, you put the flour and water mixture in there, but once you've put uh, an animal skin in there, so it's beca- it becomes nifsal. It is no longer considered edible, and it wouldn't be considered chametz. You wouldn't have to get rid of it for Pesach. Uh, we, so uh, we, before, it, when it spoke about the, um, this is really going back to um, uh, to. Uh, so um, so we said that it, also with regard to tumah, right? If the um, if the, uh, uh, the the chametz that is on it. Is uh, if he's makpid on it, if he's if he is uh, concerned and he wants to remove it, so it will be considered a, a chatzitza. And if it is not, if he if he wants it to stay there, so harihu kariva. So it's going back to the trough of dough. This is not the. Uh, this is not necessarily referring back to the trough that's used for the. Uh, for the, the the hides anymore. This is a um, this is this could be just as well referring to the one of the dough. But the point is that if the person has if there is chametz in there, and if he cares about it, uh, meaning he wants to remove it, so it's considered additional to the uh, it's considered an additional thing, and it would interrupt between the water and the trough that you are dipping in the mikveh. But on the other hand, if you want it to stay there, and what's well, means you want it to stay there as part of the trough. So then it will become a part of the Kli and it's not considered distinct from it anymore. Now we saw before that there was a whole discussion about uh, what if there's a Kazayit, what about what plate, what, where on the trough is it located and so on. So it, this seems to simplify things and just say, oh yeah, it's just the same thing as 
the uh, you know with regard to tumah, it's the same rule. If you if you want it there, then it, then you leave it there, and, and and if you don't want it there, then uh, then it's considered separate. I mean, but it's not that simple. Midame, what are we talking about here? Hatam yamilta. Over there, we said it had to do with the measurement. Is there a kazayit? Is there not a kazayit? And so on. Here you're telling me that the only thing that's of, uh, that we have to be concerned about is uh, whether or not the uh, uh, whether or not the person wants it there. But what, you know, but that's not true with regard to Pesach. It doesn't just matter whether the person wants it there or not. It also matters the amount. Here you're saying it only matters whether the person wants it there or not. And if he wants to leave it there, it's like a glue. So then, it's, seemingly, it doesn't matter how much there is. It wouldn't be an interposition between the areva and the water. Whereas if he wants to remove it, then uh, then it would be considered an interposition. But whereas with Pesach, it had to do with the amount. So Amar Yehuda. We'll just throw in one little word that changes the entire thing. Right? We'll just reverse it. Now, it's not the same with Tumah. Meaning when it comes to Pesach, we have to worry about the amount and the location and so on. But when it comes to Tumah, the only thing we have to care about is whether he wants it to be there or not. Even if there's a lot, but he wants it to stay there because using it as a type of a glue... So then he's allowed to, or, you know, it's, a, it's stuffing holes in the areva, then, he can, then it doesn't matter how much when it comes to tum'ah. It will just become a part of the, uh, the vessel. But when it comes to Pesach, we have to care how much there is. That's a different story. How can you literally reverse it and make it exactly what it, the opposite of what it says? It says, you're saying, no, it says, no, it says, how could you change it to the opposite? That when it comes to tziruf tumah, when it comes to combination for tumah, there's a difference between Pesach and the rest of the year. That on Pesach, with regard to tziruf tumah, there is a different status, and we're going to explain what tziruf tumah means in a second. <coughs> Whereas the rest of the year, there's an argument. Now, what does he mean? The combination of tumah. What does he mean? What does he mean? You have, you have less than a kabeza of food. And there is some dough in this trough. And it is Pesach. And there's a little piece of dough in there. And you combine this other food with this little piece of dough. This little piece of dough, let's say, is a kazait. Okay? Yours, but in order to have tum'ah in foods, you need a kabitza, not a kazait. So you need more than a, a kazait. There's only a kazait of dough in this, uh, in this trough. You're combining it with other foods, and then those foods get touched by tum'ah, the isuo chashuv mitzaref. So because it's, it, it is prohibited, in other words, on Pesach, because chamet, the, there's a prohibition of chametz, so that chametz becomes very significant. Right, and therefore it will combine together with another food to make the requisite amount to be mekabel tumana. Rashi elaborates on this. He says, "What are we talking about? This you have certain batek, you have certain uh, dough that is hadavuk ba'ariva. It is stuck to the uh, to to the trough to the to the vessel v'nagaben tumah ve'itme. So the point is that the uh, that this um, the uh, you have this." Other food and this dough that's stuck to the trough, they're together and they touch certain type of tum'ah. So it says, Bapesach. Now Rashi says, the Isur Chametz Mechashvo. Since there's a prohibition of Chametz on Pesach, and there you have this piece of dough there, so it's considered Chashuv, it's considered significant. Since the amount of a Kazayit is the amount you have to get rid of for Pesach, 
Right? A kazayit is the minimum amount. That it doesn't become nullified by the trough, as we said earlier. So the chidush is that when it comes to Pesach, even though you might say, I was just going to leave that kazayit of dough there. It's just, as far as I'm concerned, it's part of the vessel. Since technically, according to Halacha, it's a kazayit and he has to get rid of it, so therefore it has significance, and he can't just say it's part of the vessel. The rest of the year, you could argue that what? Well, yes, there's a piece of broccoli, and it's stick, it's stuck to this piece of dough that's in this trough, and they make a kabetzav food altogether. But I don't consider the dough that's stuck on the trough to be food because I consider a glue that I'm holding my trough together. So I don't, I don't want it to uh, be considered food. That would work the rest of the year maybe. But on Pesach, when there is a halacha that requires that a kazayit of chametz be removed, you can't make that argument. You can't say that it's going to be insignificant. Okay, Bishar Yomot Tashanara, she says, There's a distinction whether you care about it or not. In other words, there, there you can make a distinction between whether you care about it or not. It's subjective. In other words, when it comes to, the, the, the point is this. You have a kazayit of dough that's stuck in the trough. Okay, that's not enough to be mekabel tumah because to be mekabel tumah for food, you need a kabetza. You need bigger than that. Another piece of food falls and gets stuck on that same spot and now it's combined together with the dough. So any other time we would ask you, well, was that dough that was in the trough actually food? You were going to take it and make a cookie out of it? Or was that dough actually just, uh, you, you kept it stuck in there to hold the trough to seal it? If you said seal it so that it's not considered food, it won't add together with the broccoli that fell in. Okay, but if you say that it's, uh, if you say that it is, uh, it was food, so that it will add together. On Pesach, though, you don't have that luxury. No matter what, that kazayit of dough that was stuck inside the bottom of the trough is considered food. So we'll combine with another food to create something that can be mekabel tum'ah, whether you like it or not. It's not going to be subjective. It's objective because there's a halakha that you have to remove it. Okay, that's what Abaye says. It means v'chen le'nyan tum'ah, that the same principle applies to tum'ah the rest of the year. On Pesach, technically... It's, uh, it doesn't apply because on Pesach, whether you care about it or not doesn't matter. Only the measurement matters, but the rest of the year matters. Now, Gamal says, uh, so, um, right, so, uh, so, there's, so he says, that, uh, okay, uh, said, you're, again, your problem with the previous answer was that it didn't really, it did violence to the text. Well, you're doing the same thing because it doesn't say mitzaref. It's not talking about, whether the dough in the bottom of the trough combines together with the broccoli. What it's talking about is whether the dough is chotzetz, interrupts between the mikveh water and the trough. So where, where are you coming up with this idea? It combines with the other food. It doesn't combine with the other food. It has nothing to do with that. So he says, so it says, What's talking about is putting this trough in the mikveh, this vessel in the mikveh to become pure. Right, so what it's saying is that when, if you have this trough that has this piece of dough stuck in there, and you want to dip it in the mikveh, when it comes to Pesach, you can't say that that is not a significant thing. That dough is significant because it's Pesach. You can't get away from it being significant. The rest of the year, it's up to you, your subjective opinion. There you have a distinction between whether you care about it or not. In other words, on Pesach, objectively, it's a distinct item because you have to remove it. So you can't say there's nothing stuck on the trough. There is something stuck on the trough. So if you put it into the mikveh, it's going to be like you left a sticker on 
there and it's no good. On the other hand, if you, uh, during the rest of the year, you could say that I'm leaving that batsek, I'm leaving that dough as part of the trough because I want it to be glue. Now, what's the difference between Rava and Abaye, really? They have the same concept, right? They're saying Pesach is different than the rest of the year. On Pesach, since you have to remove a kazayid of chametz and you have this dough stuck in the trough, it's considered a food automatically, whether you like it or not, on Pesach because you're required to remove it and therefore it would combine with other things for Tum'ah. It would be chotzetz. It would interrupt between the trough and the water. So on. And as all of these halachot go together. On the other hand, According to uh, Ravaz saying that they, you know, they're saying the same concept, right? They're just they're making the distinction between Pesach being a time where it's objectively considered food, and the rest of the year it's up to you whether you wanted to leave it there or not. We'll determine what the status is, right? So that's but Matkif didn't like that either because he said It doesn't say that this halacha applies to purifying of the trough, right? You criticized Abaye because it doesn't say the word mitzaref. It doesn't talk about combining. But I'm going to criticize you and say it doesn't talk about purifying. It talks about impurity. Because it's v'chein le'inyan tum'ah, not v'chein le'inyan tarah. If you wanted to talk about halakha, that the dough interrupts between the water of the mikveh and the trough, it should have said v'chein le'inyan tarah, not v'chein le'inyan tum'ah. So why does it say v'chein le'inyan tum'ah? What it means is whether this dough can be a vehicle to make the trough tamay. Meaning what? It actually ends up being better. In other words, if you have a piece of dough on Pesach that's stuck in the trough and a sheretz falls on that piece of dough, since the piece of dough is not considered part of the trough, because actually you have to get rid of it, that will not automatically make the trough become tamay. Because it, it, only touched the, it only touched the dough, and the dough has to be removed, so therefore the dough is not considered part of the areva. So now it fits perfectly, actually, with the language, because the language was that uh, if you're makpid on it, when it comes to tum'ah, if you're makpid on it, right, so then it's considered to be something which is chotzet. And if you're not makpid, it is, it is ka'areva, it's like the areva, meaning if the source of tum'ah touches the dough. The question is, is that considered to be touching also the vessel? So the rest of the year, we would say, well, if you were planning on removing that dough anyway, so obviously it's not considered part of the vessel. So the fact that this source of tum'ah touched the dough doesn't make the vessel tamay. But if it's, uh, you know, but, uh, but if you planned on leaving it there and it's a glue that's holding it together, so then we would say it is part of the, uh, part of the vessel. However, on Pesach, you can't make the argument. The point is you can't make the argument on Pesach that it's part of the vessel because since a kazayit of chametz has to be removed no matter what, you can never say it's part of the vessel. It has to be removed. It has a significance in its own right. And therefore, if the source of tum'ah touches this, this dough, it's not going to transmit the tum'ah automatically to the vessel because they're considered two independent things. And that's the, that's the conclusion of the Gemara of what it meant. If it's less than a kazayit, since you could have left it there, we said before, as glue, so then it will be considered part of the trough. Right, that's the... Right, that, that, it will become it could become it could become tamay then. Only yeah. if it's bigger than because because then you have to remove it. Right, exactly. Now the Mishnah says batzek hachirish the deaf dough. What that means is a, an unresponsive dough, meaning we can't find out what its status is. It's just like a person who is deaf; they can't hear us, so they can't respond to us. Right? You have a dough that you can't tell from looking at it. And uh, you, any of the signs of chimuts, you're not sure has it become chametz yet. It's a a question mark. So what do you do? 
If you made a batch of dough and some of the dough that was around from the same time has already become chametz, you can assume that the one that you made at the same time is also chametz, even though it doesn't show the signs, right? That's what they say. Now, Gimara says, So the the Mishnah leaves out the most obvious question. What if you don't have any other dough that was made at the same time? So what are we supposed to do now? Right? Right? So yeah. So it says, It says, it says the amount of time it takes from Migdal Nunya to Tiberia, which is a meal, which we usually say takes 18 to 24 minutes to walk. In other words, if you left it, this is where the 18 minutes idea comes from, right? Really, some of the, uh, some of the poskim says 24 minutes, but we, we, we're trying to be uh, more uh, strict when it comes to Hamid, so we take this 18 minutes. So 18 minutes, basically, the, the amount of time it takes, if you left the dough already, or the amount of time it takes to walk from this city to that city, to Tiberia, that's, that's the time of a meal. It's around a mile, actually, in, in, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but, so it's like, meal, mile, but, but it's, I'm sure it's from the same source. So the, um, so th- that's the amount of time that, uh, if you leave the dough, it becomes, we have to assume it became chametz, right? That's the rule of thumb. Now the Gemara says, Venema mil. So why didn't you just say mil? Why'd you have to tell me a direction? You know, like, oh, if you go from this city to that city, that's the, uh, that's the amount of time. Just tell me a mil. It says, ah, hakamashmalan, to tell you, the shua de mil, kemimigdal nunyavatabaya, to tell you a good way to remember how long a mile is. Right? Sometimes you like to have a nice example to think of what is the distance of a mile. You think of the distance between two places, say, oh, that's about a mile. So whenever you think about the distance of a mile, think from here to here. You can think, oh, from here to the state train station is two miles or whatever. So then you'll be able to have a sense of what, a, what the measurement of a mile is. Um, you know, and, then the, and, and that's what they're... Um, the, yeah, so they gave them an example, but really the 18 minutes or 24 minutes or whatever, we use 18 minutes as the rule. If you left the dough, so we assume that it became chametz. I'm Rabbi Abau. I'm Rabbi Shimon Lakish. This exact statement appears in several places uh, in, in the Shasa. I think the last time we saw it was in Masechet Bachot, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, let me see. Oh, it's in Chulin. So it says, also... Yeah. So anyway, the point it says for th- we have this rule of arba'am milin. We have four uh, mil. There's a rule of four mil, four miles uh, for in uh, in uh, several uh, several cases. One is uh, the gabal. Now Rashi says what that means is a person who is hired by a um, uh, by by a balabait by a, an ordinary person to make him dough. And the kelim are tmeim. How much out of his way does he have to go to bring these kelim to the mikveh to prepare? pure items for the person who hired him. In other words, it's considered like a courtesy, I guess. You know, it's nicer to make it pure. But if the mikveh is four mil away plus, then he doesn't have to travel that far in order to, uh, in order to do it. Right. So, yeah, pretty much. So, so Rashi says, Gabal, he says, A person's being paid for preparing dough for someone else. And the, and the vessels of the balabait are tame. Arabat milim. Until arabat milim. So the, the, the rabbis required him to go to try to, you know, there's a level to, they, they, they wanted you to make an effort. So the effort is defined as four meal. If it's more than four meal to get to a mikveh, then you don't have to do it. Okay? Also, the tefillah. For tefillah, Rashi says here, V'chei tefillah, Im ma'alech adam ba'derech, Rashi says, Hu ba'it lalun ulet palel. Im yesh bet knesset lefana berichuk arba milin, Olech umet palel v'sham v'lancha. If he can pray with the minyan, interesting, it sounds like he's talking about Arvit, actually, because he says he should go there, pray and sleep over. Obviously, for the minyan in the morning, too, it would benefit him. But meaning, if he's traveling and he would just have to go another four meal, to the next stop where there would be a minyan, he should go to the next stop where there would be a minyan. 
Okay, but that's up to four meals. But he doesn't have, if he's getting ready, it's already the time where it's getting to nighttime. So it's basically roughly an hour. It's saying travel another hour. So more than that, you wouldn't have to continue traveling if you were already ready to call it a night on your trip. Um, in order to pay with the minyan, but up to up to seventy two minutes, you should. Same with netilatidaim. If a person is within uh, four meal of food, okay, he he should wait to eat his bread until he uh, gets to the place where there's water uh, to uh, do netilatidaim. If he can't, if it's more than four meal, he's allowed to eat. He just has to cover his hands to eat the bread. He's just not allowed to eat it with his bare hands without washing. But he doesn't have to not eat and wait to go 10 miles uh, to the next available water in that case, right? And all these we say, Arba Milin, these are Rashi's interpretations. There are other Mepharshim that have other ideas. Know that it means, uh, uh, that it means that the amount of time you have to go to well, wash your hands for tefillah, how far you have to walk to. And in, in Masechet, uh, in Masechet, uh, I wanted to say Bachot, but it could be in Shabbat actually, that, it, that they have the discussion about... Um, uh, where there's actually two girsaot in the Gemara about this, and there's two different versions. But the um, but the the idea is that you know some say no, it means nitzilat yadayim for wash it, for for uh, for tefillah, not the not a minyan. Either way, this is what Rashi says. Arba milin. Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Rav Nachman Yitzchak said, "Aivo Amara." This is a, a, a the name of a person. He said it. The Arba'a. Amarban, he said four things. ibud. One of them was tanning of heights. Detnan, we said in the Mishnah, Bakulach Ibidan, Oh Shailekwen Gdeavodatorin, Khutzmiwaradam. That all skins that you uh, already walked on them, the amount that they would become uh, they would become worked, they would become hard from uh, from the tanning. Right, uh, they, they become tahor. Meaning, initially, when the skin is soft, it's still considered like flesh. But once it be, starts to become hard, it's tahor. It's not tam- meaning that if the assuming that the animal was tameh, so the uh, or that the or that we're talking about that it could be mekabel tumah as flesh, right? One or the other. So the point is, it's no longer considered to be flesh once it starts to be worked. Now it says chutz adam, but a human skin always remains tameh. And there's a whole discussion about why that is. But we we we, we came across it one time before. But vakama how much is considered um, four meal of walking is enough to say that it's going to uh, they, would, they would put it out and if uh, if there were 72 minutes worth of walking over that uh, skin it's considered to already have hardened enough that it's not going to be viewed as flesh anymore so that's the fourth time where we use the four meal measurement this obviously has nothing to do with what we're talking about here it's just that since they talked about the idea of the measurement of meal so they got onto another thing that has measurements of four meal and now we're going to say this is all talking about when it's on your way. But when it's behind you, you don't have to go back. Now, Rashi says that that's talking about netilat yadayim and tefillah. Okay, the uh, that the uh, the person who is on a tra- who is traveling. And they want to they, they want to pray with the minyan. So it's saying going out of your way one meal. Right. So lifanav means continue on your journey. Another hour, if you can get to a minyat, or if you can get to netilat yadaim, where you'll be able to wash for bread. But if you have to go out of your way, which they're saying la'acharav, meaning you know another another direction, so then you, only ad mil you have to go, which means only eighteen minutes, right? So it says uh, so it says afilu mil eno chozer. He doesn't even have to go back eighteen minutes, which means what? Amravacha. Right, from the fact that you're telling me that I don't have to go back a meal, that means less than that, I would go back. So meaning if I only have to go back 15 minutes out of my way, okay, go 15 minutes out of your way, or for minyan, 
right? But if you have to go uh, more than 15 minutes out of your way, then you don't have to do it. It doesn't matter. Traveling. It's a, uh, that's why I always translate in... He's on the way anyway. He's going in that direction anyway. You're going to, let's say... Uh, You're walking... To, right. Driving, and you I will drive, I will drive for me to wash my hands. Because it's to be on route. One hour to wash my hands. This one no, no. Okay. If you're it, going that... It goes... Hour. Hour. Right. It's saying it goes another... Uh, it go, that's why I always translate it in terms of time. Because I don't think that they were thinking in terms of distance. They were thinking really in terms of time. Yeah. Um, you know, meaning to say that, that if you're traveling in that direction anyway, you're going to, you're going to Pennsylvania, like I said, it's a eight hours drive. Okay. So if you, uh, if you are, let's say going to like, uh, you know, to, to Pittsburgh. Okay. It's an eight hours drive. So you dri- you're driving there, you've driven four hours and you say, I'd like to have my sandwich, but there's no rest stop here and I'm not going to be able to have water to wash my hands. Okay. Drive another hour in the same direction towards Pittsburgh and then stop. What's the big deal? Send one more hour to have your sandwich. Right. Or you're going to, st- you have, you see that you could stop at a hotel, but there's no Jewish community, no minyan here. I could drive another hour on the same road closer to my destination, sleep a little bit closer to my destination. There is a minyan. Okay. So take another hour drive. That's what it's saying. But if you have to go backwards so then 15 minutes is the maximum we don't ask you to go out of your way now with the guy who's preparing the dough Rashi says that guy doesn't make a difference in front of him behind him because it's not talking about someone who's traveling it's talking about somebody who is at home so it wouldn't be relevant in their case the way that uh, the way that uh, Rashi interprets the case but in any case that's the end of the Gemara there now we get beyond now we come to another thing which is how do you separate now there's multiple complications here how do you separate chala from dough Bitum'ah on Yom Tov. Now, what's the problem? Now, on a regular Yom Tov, it's not that big of a deal. Now, you can't burn chala on Yom Tov because you're not allowed to burn Tumah V'Kodashim on Yom Tov. But when you separate a dough on Yom Tov, when you make a dough on Yom Tov and you separate the chala, you put it aside and then you burn it afterwards. I mean, if you're not giving it to the Kohen, we're assuming it's Tamek. Right? So you, you burn it afterwards, it's no problem. Burn it on Nechola Moed. Let's say it's Sukkot. Let's say it's any other day. You, you don't have to worry. But Pesach, the problem is, you can't just leave a piece of dough on the side. It's going to become chametz. So well, you're working with dough on Pesach anyway. You're making matzah. What, what else on are you going to do? How, what are you going to make matzah out of? No, on, Pes- you, on the day of Pesach. Yeah. 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 Right. You're making, you're making the things. For, you're making matzah. So if you're making matzah, so the so the uh, you have to take challah from it. You know, it says on all the matzah box, challah uh, is taken. Right in in Yiddish, it says it. You know, you have to get have a Yiddish class on what the, what it means. Yeah, get, whatever. What's the? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I know that it's some Yiddish word they put on there. Um, but in any case, if you have if you have this. Um, this uh, chala. So the thing is, any other yom tov, it doesn't make a difference. So you leave it, and separate the ch- separate the chala, leave it for uh, the kohen afterwards, or burn it afterwards. But on Pesach, it's going to become. It has to be. It, it can't be left because it's going to become chametz, and you're not allowed to burn chala on yom tov, right? In sofin kodashim, tumava kodashim on yom tov. So you you have a problem. So what do you do? So it's putting vinegar like this. It's just a few drops of no? But then you're just, it's just ruining it also, I mean, isn't it? Okay, oh, you mean to prevent it. Well, that's okay. one of the answers that they're going to say, yeah. Rabbi Eliezer, simple. Bake everything. Don't declare anything as chala yet. 
Because technically, you're allowed to bake and make the challah afterwards. It's bidiyavat. But if you learn Masachet challah, it says that, you know, right, lechat chila, you're supposed to separate it when it's, when it's still dough. But let's say a person baked already, so then they can, they can separate it when it's already baked. So it says it's better, just wait till it's already baked and then separate part of the dough, separate part of the baked matzah, that will be the challah. What's the problem? Why can't you bake the challah and give it matzah to the corner? That's what he just said. Oh no, but he said you cook it first, then separate challah. Separate challah at the dough time and then cook it. Because since it's tamay, you know it's going to be burnt. That's the problem. So since so you can't um, you it. can't bake it because you know it's not needed for yom tov. That's the other part of it, oh. right? It, you're only allowed to cook things that are needed for yom tov, right? So therefore, if you have, so he's saying like this. He's saying bake everything. And then afterwards, pick a piece of matzah, say this is going to be the one for the challah. Of course, it's tamay, so we have to burn it. We'll burn it after a holiday, but at least it's not chamed, so that solves the problem. Okay. okay, simple. Now, what's the problem with that? The only defect in that solution is that you know from the, for ahead of time that you're actually baking something that isn't really going to be used for Yom Tov. That's going to go to the, you know, you just didn't identify which thing it was. Yeah. That's the only negative side of that solution. Otherwise, it's a good solution. And that you're giving the challah after uh, it's not dough anymore. Okay, that's, those are the two negatives that solution. What's the other solution? Ben This is more like what you're saying. Put it in cold water. The co- very cold water will prevent it from becoming chametz and just keep it that way. But you have to constantly ke- change the water because, you know, they didn't have freezers and they didn't have refrigerators. So therefore, unless you're constantly changing the water, it's going to get warm. So you're going to have to keep putting in very cold water to keep it. That's like your vinegar idea. Put something in there that will prevent it from becoming chametz. It'll be okay, right? And now th- that's the second solution. So, meaning, don't do it. Don't bake anything that you know is definitely not going to be used for Yom Tov, right? D- don't do that, uh, and and don't give him the challah when it's not when it's not dough anymore. You know, obviously. Uh, well, you're not going to give it to him anyway. You're going to burn it. But you know, don't uh, uh, d- don't bake anything that you know isn't going to be used. Uh, leave it as dough, but preserve it as dough by uh, changing the water. Okay. Now, I'm Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yoshua said, "This is not the type of chametz that the Torah is talking about." Why are you making such a big deal out of this? You separate the chala, it's not yours. Right? In other words, you made the dough, you separate the piece of chala, you put it somewhere, it's not yours. You're giving it to the Kohen. Right? And it doesn't even go to any particular Kohen. So it doesn't really belong to anybody. It doesn't belong to you. So what do you care if it becomes chametz? The, the rule of bal yarei bal only applies when you own something. So why are you making such a big deal out of it? Just leave it on the side, or put it outside. If you don't want it in your house, because for sure you're not going to want chametz in your house, fine, so put it outside. So what's the big deal? It's not yours. So th- th- that seems like a logical, uh, logical answer. So let's, let's see what the Gemara does with that. Now, Gemara says, The first possible explanation the Gemara gives for this machloket here is that it's an argument about tovatana. Tovatana is the concept that I have, even though m- gifts of the Kohen don't belong to me because I'm not a Kohen, I have a certain proprietary right or a certain benefit because I'm allowed to choose which Kohen it goes to. So meaning, Kohanim will be nice to me because they know that I'm a baker and I, I have a lot of chalat to give. So all of a sudden, the Kohanim will say, can I uh, wash your car this weekend? Can I babysit your kids? I don't know. They'll, uh, I'll get all kinds of great free offers because people want to get the chalat from me. And, and that's called tovatana'a. I get the benefit of getting to choose who receives it. Right? That, that's a tovatana'a. So it says, lema betovatana'a kamipalgi. Maybe that's the whole issue. Rabbi Eliezer is about tovatana'a mamon. Rabbi Yoshua is about tovatana'a inamamon. Because what did Rabbi Yoshua say? Rabbi Yoshua said that's not yours that chala. 
Just leave it on the side. It's not yours. So Rabbi Yoshua is saying, Tovatana inamamon. The fact that you have the right to, to, to assign chalat to a particular kohen is not considered a, 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 actually a, a mamon. It's not considered a possession of the thing. It's not considered that you have any possession over that chalat. So it's not yours. Whereas Rabbi Eliezer is saying it is yours. So you have to prevent this chala from becoming chametz because uh, since it hasn't been given to a kohen, true, you're going to have to burn it in the end because it's tamay. But since it hasn't been given to the kohen, it really belongs to you. The chala belongs to you until you dispose of it. According to Rabbi Yoshua, it doesn't belong to you. And even not only do you not get to use it, but the fact that you get to assign who receives it is not considered ownership over it at all. And then it makes sense. Rabbi Yoshua is saying, just leave it. It's not yours. And Rabbi Eliezer is saying, no, 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 it is yours until you assign, you know, either give it to a kohen or burn it. So now the Gemara says, no. Everyone agrees that the mere fact that you have the right to assign the recipient of the chala is not considered a benefit, really. It's not considered ownership. The issue here is ho'il. Now there's two ways of reading this. The first way of Rashi and the second way of Rashi. The second way of Rashi fits better with the flow of the Gemara. That ho'il is the idea that ho'il means that since I have the possibility of something, it's as if it's a reality. The Rabbi Eliezer Savar Amrinan Ho'il so this is our version of the Gemara that we have. The version of the Gemara that we have is this is Rashi's first, first take, which is, since I can do Shelat Chacham, in other words, if I designate something as Chala, just like if I designate something as Truma, I can go and do Hatarat Nidarim and retract it and assign something else. Right? So hypothetically, anything that, I, even the Chala that I separated, I could take it back. So hypothetically, it's mine in potential, potentially because I could always go and cancel out what I said. So that makes it still mine and therefore I have to consider it like uh, my possession with regard to Chametz. Rabbi Yoshua says, Lo right? and, and Rabbi Yoshua says, no, we don't say such thing. We don't say that because I could go and do Hatarat Nedarim, therefore it's really considered mine. It's not yours right now, so it's not yours. That's the first interpretation of what Ho'il means here. But there's another idea of Ho'il that Rashi explains that um, doesn't have the words uh, without that part. That uh, what it means is a different concept of Ho'il that we're going to see that, uh, that uh, Ho'il refers to when, a, when you bake everything together, right? So you're allowed to, uh, the question is whether you're allowed to, uh, uh, to bake everything um, together since you're, by virtue of the fact that you're baking the good things, you could, meaning the things that you're going to use, you're doing one act of baking, it'll include also the things, that, the, the, also the chalan, it's okay. And, 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 uh, and, and that Rabbi Yoshua is saying, no, you can't do that. You cannot bake the chalan, which you know is not going to be uh, available for your use together with everything else. You can't do that. So the question would be, according to Rabbi Eliezer, therefore you have to, you're not allowed to bake it. That's not an option to, uh, to bake it after having made it chala, meaning after you designate it as chala, you can't do that anymore um, because then you'll be baking it together with everything else. And uh, that's, that's the problem according to, uh, according to Rabbi Eliezer. And, that's, and, and according to Rabbi Yoshua, um, since you're not able to do that, so therefore you have to leave it, uh, you, you put it aside, right? That's, that's the way I think Rashi explains in the second time. Where is, the, where is that Rashi? He says, right, the, the issue is uh, that the baking on Yom Tov, right? So he says, even though he, he, even though he says, he says, right, since on each and every one, you could say, this isn't chala. Since every one of the, since you didn't designate the chalayet according to Rabbi Eliezer when you bake it, 
right? So therefore you could say that, and So he says also, since you know, he could retract it, so therefore he would be able to, um, so then it's okay. Uh, but, the, um, but according to Rabbi Yosho, you don't have that benefit. Now, the Gemara then goes on to, this is why it seems like it flows better to say the ho'il here is the ho'il, meaning since you're baking things that you're allowed to, you're also allowed to bake the chala, because look at what the next discussion, it's exactly about that. That if a person bakes on Yom Tov for a weekday, Rav Chizda says he gets malkov for that, and Rabbah says no. Rav Chizda says that Rav Chizda says that you are liable for baking on Yom Tov for Chol, because we don't say, since maybe people will come over who will eat the food, the fact that you baked it today uh, is, uh, is okay. But since your intent was to eat it after Yom Tov, it's considered baking on Yom Tov for Chol. Right? And according to Rabbanah, we say Ho'il. That means, in other words, the idea is that I'm, I'm cooking something on Yom Tov for the, with the intent of using it after Yom Tov. You're not supposed to do that. But the question is, is it a biblical violation? Will I get makot for that? According to one view, we say since there's always the potential of you eating it on Yom Tov, so therefore we don't see that as an action that's clearly in violation of Yom Tov. On the other hand, since your kavanah is to have it for after Yom Tov, maybe we don't imagine what you could use it for. We just look at what you're actually going to use it for. Right, that's the machloket. Right, according to you, that you don't say ho'il, this idea of ho'il means since I could eat it on Yom Tov, the fact that I'm cooking it for after Yom Tov doesn't matter because I could eat it on Yom Tov. So he says, Yom Tov So how does it work that when Friday is the Yom Tov, we're allowed to cook on Friday for Shabbat? You're cooking for a different day? Right? Now normally we say, oh, because since you could eat it on Friday... And you're just not going to eat it on Friday. You're going to eat it on Shabbat. But since you could, so therefore it's permitted. Well, you do eat right? Tav that, well, that's what he's going to answer. He says, because of Eruvay Tavshilit. So then he asked him, But you're telling me that it's biblically prohibited to cook on Yom Tov for the next day. What is Eruvay Tavshilin? Eruvay Tavshilin is a rabbinic thing. But how could they uproot the, the biblical thing? Basically, the answer that they give is the same, the same discussion in Masechet Betzah. How does Eruvet Avshilin work? Because we know that a person cannot cook on Yom Tov for the next day. So how does it work? So there's two answers. One answer is Ho'il. We say, really, biblically speaking... If a person cooks on Yom Tov, even, to, even for Motzei Yom Tov, even for a weekday, it's not really a biblical violation. Since there's the possibility of eating that food on Yom Tov, we can't really say it's a violation. Therefore, But the rabbis didn't want people to do that, so therefore they made Eruvet Tavshilin and only allow, to remind you basically that you shouldn't be cooking on Yom Tov for, uh, for weekday. So, they, so you can only do it when you're cooking from Yom Tov to Shabbat. Right, they, but really, technically, biblically speaking, there's no violation of cooking on Yom Tov even for after Yom Tov because yeah, since it could be eaten on Yom Tov, unless you cook at the very last minute, where it would be impossible for you to have eaten it on the Yom Tov. That's one interpretation of how Erovet Shilin works. The other way of interpreting Erovet Shilin is that really um, there's just a, even on the, on the level of the Torah, cooking on Yom Tov for, for Chol is an Isur de Oraita. Even though you could have used it on Yom Tov. But... Cooking on Yom Tov for a Shabbat right afterwards is actually biblically permitted. It's just that the rabbis only allowed it when you had an Eruv Tavshilin. 
so that you wouldn't get confused and think you could also do it for a weekday, right? So those are the two lo- logical um, interpretations of Eruvei Tavshilin. Everybody agrees that Eruvei Tavshilin is made by the rabbi, so it can't uproot a biblical rule. The question is, why would it be allowed normally to cook? From on Friday for Shabbat. Is it because cooking on Yom Tov is really, no matter what day you're doing it for, it's really always okay? Just that the rabbis created the restriction to discourage people from doing that? Or no, that, uh, that only in the case where Friday is, uh, is uh, you're cooking for Shabbat really w- w- would be okay. Uh, not, when, w- not when the Yom Tov is in the middle of the week for the next day, but when Friday is, is the Yom Tov, really it would be okay biblically, but the rabbis didn't want you to confuse that with other situations, so they made Eru Vetav Shilin. That's the, but that comes down to this question of Ho'il. Do we say that when a person cooks on Yom Tov, we can't really hold them liable, even if their Kavanah is freezing it after Yom Tov, because Ho'il, since they have the possibility that they could have eaten it on Yom Tov, it's considered valid. Or no, we don't say that. So in the same way, they're discussing the same principle as we're going to see in connection with this idea of challah, that when the person is cooking, is baking this, um, uh, this uh, food that he, since there's the potential, uh, you know, do we look at the potential of the situation or do we look at the actuality of the situation? And the Gemara is going to develop this idea further into the next stuff. We'll see.